When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, we'd like to start off though. Russ has a very important question for you. Okay. How many ropes must a poor monkey climb before he can sleep in his tree? <laughs> that, that... The answer, my friend, <laughs> is blowing out your ass. Yes. yes. Nothing you could see. Yes. Oh, yes. That's awesome. That oh, made my year. That made this year so much better. That right was there. perfect. This is our Neil Young podcast where we mostly talk out of our ass while going through the works of Mr. Young. It's Mike Shue and the Condon Boys, Trans and Harvest and Illinois. We're gonna sit and listen to each one. The only Neil Young podcast in existence. I'm just saying it with confidence I know, from you now really on. Are doubling and I'm loving it, man. Only. We're the only, and that's crazy to me because fucking Neil, man. Fucking, fucking right? Neil, man. So, a very special episode today. We were able to get on the phone with Mark Mothersbaugh of Devo. Yes. And uh, talk about Devo's work with Neil Young back in the day for uh, Human Highway. And he's uh, he's got some great stories about being on the set there. And, and also talk about his prolific film scoring, composing. Film, TV yeah. shows, yeah. commercials, uh, all that stuff. Fucking and wild. Yeah. So he was able to join us from his uh, studio in, on Sunset Boulevard, Mutato. Muta- Mutato yeah, Studios. Yeah, Mutato. Yeah, because so. yeah, he's, he's really the, cool. It's like this big circle building he painted green. Yeah, it looks yeah, it's awesome. like a plastic it's surgeon. It's like day glow yeah. green or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But we were able to interview him. I thought it went really great. I thought it was good, and it really shows what a true original this guy is. Oh, my God. Yeah. In the sense that it's just he's just a certified character. And it's, um, you know, this was a guy who was able to do something that not a lot of people could do. Wives, fellow artists, record company people, and that is influence neil young yeah right. you know in a major way that made him change his his music i, I all thought around. it was wild too like i pointed out sorry spoiler again but i was pointing out all the synchronicities between yeah. like yeah kent state and then neil with ohio and then human highway and yes. scoring and all those with the just kind of fucking uh board of pins with uh you right, know yeah. twine yeah. It was going a spiral yeah, like inside of, of inception i also right. i also like I love that I I knew the song Whip It, that's it. And then getting into Neil got me more into Devo. Like today I listened to the the whole Are We Not Men, We Are Devo 
album and it's great and and like listening to interviews with him i think that's what really did it for me was listening to a lot of interviews with him and then listening to devo and realizing like what they were going for and where he started and they started and Mm -hmm. and just then hearing the the music and all the synth we didn't even talk about like the instruments he makes and right right because he fucking hand makes like instruments yeah. out of doorbells and fucking mm-hmm. bird sounds. He's a cool fucking dude, man. Yeah, he's yeah. a genius. Yeah, yeah, he really is. Yeah. And he's yeah. like the composer now for fucking Thor movies. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's just like he worked with on this movie with Neil Young. Yeah, this weird oh. movie that no one's ever seen. And we have some breaking animated film news that he gives us. He does. I, wonder the he, end. I wonder if he was allowed to tell us. Is that, that breaking? Sure he was. I'm sure it's. I'm okay. sure it's on IMDb. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, my kids will be very excited right, when I yeah. tell them because they love the. That movie. Uh, 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 <laughs> we'll just wait. For you can hear it in the end. Yeah, we're right. not gonna do a whole thing like we did with the Nils one. We're gonna get right to it. Um, and uh, we mean we're not gonna be ridiculous idiots before. I mean, we already have. We've already done that for idiots. almost five People minutes. People expect I think. that. Okay, Dan well, Mossman wants to yeah, be ridiculous well, idiots. Let's fucking wrap it up. Uh, <laughs> what if? What if Mark Mothersbaugh? turned out to be like Dan Moshpit. What if he was Dan Moshpit? Devo would be a very different band. Also, Devo Mark would Mothers- be Creed. Uh, no, you right? know what? You know what? Because Mark Mothersbaugh is not Dan Moshpit because Mark Mothersbaugh is a potato. Oh, that's right. You've got to listen to why he's fascinated with potatoes, and I think awesome. it's brilliant. It it's was like, so brilliant. It is. Yeah. It's. I never even thought of he was, this. He yeah. was a good sport, and we yeah. really liked it. Yeah. What is, uh, we should talk him. really quick before we get into the interview. I know we plug it during it, but the post office thing that he's doing. Oh, yeah. So he's trying to save the help save the U.S. post office yeah. from being shut down, and mm-hmm. he's got this postcard project that if you get a, a, like a blank postcard yeah. and you do art on it, and just slap a stamp on it and send it to Mutato Studios. Yeah. And you can get that at, we'll, po- we'll post the address yeah, of we'll the post, podcast. We'll and, the, yeah. and you can get it on it. You just search Mutato Studios. And he says it in the interview at the end. So yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's a, that's a worthy effort that he's, yeah. he's made interesting. Like everything else, the guy's pretty much Hell yeah. come in contact in his yeah. life. Even yeah. Neil Young, right? Right. Yeah. 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 Which, you know, is impossible to do, yeah. but... Uh, so yeah, thanks to Mark Mothersbaugh. Yes. Uh, we want to thank also before we go the uh, Pantheon Podcast Network. You yep. can hear Long May You Young there, and everywhere you hear uh, podcasts and uh, and Nails Lofgren for his constant support. Yes, and uh, and the delicious <laughs> nail filled funnel cakes we had at Carn <laughs> Nail. All right, let's do it. <laughs> this is Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo and uh, from the Lego movie and, and Thor and Ragnarok Gilmore. and Happy Gilmore, the soundtrack to Happy Gilmore. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't talk about Happy Gilmore. Yeah. Oh, and then also pay attention to what he did to several commercials we all oh, probably yeah, have seen sweet. as a child. Yeah, all right. It's a good interview. We hope you like it. Hello. Hello, Mark. Yeah. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm finishing up another movie. <laughs> yeah, you are super busy, so we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Oh, um, uh, it's a, a topic that's dear to my heart, actually. Yeah, we, um, so the, the podcast, I don't know if anyone told you, it's called Long May You Young. And uh, what uh, I am doing, my name is Mike Shu, and I'm here with uh, Luke and, and Russ Condon. They're brothers. They're in a band town meeting. We're huge Neil Young fans. Um, but uh, what we're doing is we're taking on Neil Young's musical catalog and movies, I guess, too. Yeah. Um, 
one episode at a time. So we cover an album each episode in order of release. We'd like to start off, though. Russ has a very important question for you. Okay. How many ropes must a poor monkey climb before he can sleep in his tree? <laughs> that, that... The answer, my friend, <laughs> is blowing out your ass. Yes. yes. Nothing you could see. Yes. Oh, yes. That's awesome. That oh, made my year. Perfect. That made this year so much better. That right was there. perfect. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much for that. What, what did you think of uh, Russ's Boogie Boy? Not bad, huh? Not bad, yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, that's, you know, and we need more Boogie Boys in the world at this, at this point in time anyhow. Amen. I think that's very true. Yeah. Absolutely. We're, I'm just fascinated, you know, for, for those who don't know, Mark Mothersbaugh was uh, a, a member or still is, I'm sorry, a member of Devo and a band that a lot of people said were way ahead of their, your time when you came out in the, or you started making music. It was like the mid seventies at that point when Devo was like a fully formed idea, right? When we started, uh, yeah, like, um, like heading out into the world leaving Akron behind, leaving our basement in Akron behind. Yeah. It's, it's just amazing to me because at that time, you know, in New York, you had like the Ramones and television and there was like a, it's a New York city art scene in LA at that time. You had bands like X just starting up and this is all pre-internet and everything. And then in Akron, Ohio, <laughs> you had this, this group of guys creating this totally original idea mm. that still has yet to be duplicated in any way. And it, it, you know, there was, there wasn't really like a huge, like punk or new music scene going on. I would imagine at that time in Akron, Ohio, right? Uh, we used to have to lie and say we were a top 40 band to get a gig somewhere and and we would only end up playing at any location one time because they would never hire us right (laughs) you know once we you know would do something like say okay here's a song by uh quicksilver messenger service called (laughs) mongoloid and they go hi let's see let's hear that and then they'd hear it and they'd go damn damn (laughs) and so so we were kind of a lightning rod for for um for um you know people being just a little bit disgruntled about things. We 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 collected hostility and hmm. uh gave people a safe outlet by getting in a uh fist fight or unplugging our equipment, you know, or stopping us from playing before we finished a set. We got uh, paid to quit more more times than your average band. <laughs> think, uh, well, at least you got paid. You know, so, yeah, 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 right. That sixty bucks was important. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Do you still remember some of those venues from Akron? Oh yeah, I, I don't even know if the place I used to put. We used to play at a place called the Crypt, hmm. and uh, it was like over by all the the factories that were all, you know, working at that time. So it'd be like, you know, ex Vietnam vets that were working at at a rubber factory and before they went home to beat their wives, they'd stop in and get Jeez. drunk at the crypt and listen to Devo. Oh my God. What, <laughs> I mean, yeah. what, what was like the worst thing you, you must've gotten hit with stuff. What was like the worst thing you got hit with? Like that someone threw at you. I can only imagine like you got hit with like a hard hat or <laughs> like a welding. Oh, we got hit with, 
yeah, there's there was a wide assortment of things that we had flung our direction. But I remember um, I was singing the, uh, a section of Satisfaction where I had to go, uh, what, what is that song? Uh, where I'm just kind of like stuttering. And I watched some kid in, uh, in England, Manchester, some little kid jumped up in the crowd and he, he shot a, a, you know, like a phlegm ball. Oh, God. It just, somehow I didn't, I wasn't able to uh, avoid it. And it just went right down my throat. I was kind of like, and he was like so happy, like, wow, I hit a home run, you know. (laughs) Oh, God. His face was beaming and I was like uh, uh, retching at the same time. Was that also at the crypt? Because this sounds like a Stephen King story right now. <laughs> I, I just it's it's uh, it's amazing to me because, you know, like I said, a lot of people say you guys were ahead of your time. But I'm just trying to figure out like it's almost like you guys created your own time as Devo. You had your own world. You had your own philosophy de-evolution where the world is actually getting, you know, dumber. Right, yeah. than actually better which seems to have become the reality <laughs> right do today you, do you still believe that's happening you know um we we were growing up at the end of the 60s beginning of the 70s and we were just trying to figure out what we saw going on and we just felt like evolution didn't describe it we we thought we were seeing something totally opposite that and we were already kind of um kind of not believing in in man being the center of the universe we we saw man as being the unnatural species that was like uh destroying the planet and mm. uh, we we talked about it in our, in our music that's kind of and, and we thought of ourselves as kind of a i don't think we thought um we were going to be a a, a pop band i think we thought we were going to be more like a our, our goal was to be an art movement we mm. wanted to be like a, you know, there was Art Nouveau, Art Deco, Dadaism, Surrealism, Bauhaus, uh, the Russian suprematists, which were kind of Devo in a way, because they were, they kind of made fun of, of humans bragging about their superiority. And, right. uh, but we wanted to be like Art Nouveau, you know, and we, we thought, we thought we were going to be doing like cabaret and agitprop and, uh, and we were interested in mixing all the different technologies together. We were inspired by people like Andy Warhol as much as we were, uh, you know, Captain Beefheart or, <laughs> or Neil Young, for that matter. Right. We were inspired by these people that, that thought the idea came first and then you used whatever technology was available to you to, to, um, to make your art with and make your statement with. You, you brought up Neil, and, and that's mainly why we, we're, we're talking to you about your work and Devo's work with Neil Young. And, and I was just wondering, were you a fan of Neil Young at, the, at that time when the band was starting out in the mid-70s? Because, you know, he was already pretty oh, yeah. huge at that point. Yeah, he was pretty huge. And, you know, he was, he, and, you know, it, it, it didn't, we didn't not notice uh, Four Dead in Ohio, you know, it's mm. like, um, Oh yeah. You know, we we were very, you know, we were curious about who he was and what he was, you know. And um we met him through Dean Stockwell, Russ Tamblin and Dennis Hopper. Right. And uh and um Tony Basil. It was like those people were 
Steve-O fans when we showed up in LA and uh, they, they got us in, they brought us to Neil's attention. And um, I don't know, we, you know, I, I was, I, I think, I think Neil is one of those people that, that um, he, he's a strong, you know, he's a strong force in the arts. And mm. uh, even then he was, you know, he was making movies. He was, in some ways, we were kind of had some similarities because he was making these films, you know, before we did, you know, I mean, well, we did our, you know, compilations and we did interstitial things at our shows, but he was doing full on features and things. And I thought that was pretty, I thought that was pretty great, you know, and I, I, I think, I think we all felt, you know, like a kindred spirit because of that. It just seems to me that Devo was like everything that popular music at that time was not and that you guys are striving for that. And if someone like, yeah. like Neil Young comes to your show and comes to meet you guys, you know, I was just wondering what the reaction was like, Oh my God, Neil Young wants to talk to us. Yeah. You know, why the hell is he here? Well, um, yeah, it was overlapping, you know, it was different overlapping, um, you know, relationships. It's like, uh, like, um, you know, he, he, you know, Gene Stockwell was the original director, I think, isn't that how it worked on Human Highway? Didn't he was like shooting footage on a 16 millimeter camera, and then at some point, one of uh, Neil's other films went went started doing really well commercially. So they said, "Well, let's bump up to 16." I mean, yeah, up to 35, and um, and then Dean was also kind of wild in that time period. <laughs> All those guys were wild. In yeah. Time <laughs> yeah. I, we've heard a bunch of stories about, especially Dennis Hopper. Yeah. On set. Yeah, I, I, you know what? When I first met him, I thought he was retarded because he couldn't finish a sentence. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I thought, wow. Yeah. This guy, something happened to him. And, uh, and something did. And it was later on that we had <laughs> a lucid lot of conversations. Drugs. Like, like 10 years later, we had lucid conversations, you know, and, you know, he turned out to be a very interesting person, you know, um, uh, artist, you know, and, but yeah, when we made the, that film, it's like he, uh, he was fooling around and he cut Sally Kirkland's arm. Right. Yeah. You know, he flashed her arm. It was crazy stuff happening. Yeah. Days. We, 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 when we were researching the film, we saw a lot of those stories and, and we also saw that, um, you guys, Devo, were, it was sort of your first taste of that. Hollywood scene. And I remember reading, uh, and I actually saw a couple interviews too, where, um, you, it was, you guys were talking about how you sort of had this image of Neil as like, what was it like Grampy Granola or something? Grandpa Granola. Yeah. You were calling Grandpa him Granola, that. Yeah. And then it turned out you, you realized he was actually the most centered of all, of all the people <laughs> there. And he actually yeah. ha had a real, yeah. a real vision. And, and I, uh, Myself, when I watched that film, which was just for that episode, I had never, I didn't even know about it. And I'm a huge Neil fan. And then when we uh, went to do the episode on that movie a few weeks ago, I, at first I was like, "What? What is happening here?" And then the more I realized, and I, I saw an interview with you were saying something similar. Where looking back, you kind of realized the the kind of genius, if I can use that word, of that film. And it seems on on the surface level just a strange sort of art thing but then it's got all these layers that are pretty pretty spectacular yeah i 
I saw the film about 10 years after we made it. Mm-hmm. And I was very impressed. I was like, wow, I'm so glad I got to be a part of that. And I'm so glad that he did that. Right. It was just an incredible film. Right. That actually uh, brings me to something I wanted to ask you about, which um, was, I know you said at the top that you're, you're working on another movie and I definitely want to talk about composing because I'm I'm a huge uh, like compo- film composer nerd. I've I fell in love with John Williams when I was like a little kid, and it was either like Jurassic Park or Jaws or something. And 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 I used to go to school uh, and just tell all my friends about we, they'd be talking about the cool movies, and I was always talking about the film scores and how much I loved the the music in the films. And I and. In one uh, interview, I heard you talking about aesthetic, and that's something that I've always been drawn to. And I think that you're, if I can use this word as well, master of of creating an aesthetic. And especially with that with Human Highway, there's a, there's an aesthetic to it. And when, you know, when I think of aesthetics in films, it, music is a big part of that. You think of like The Shining with uh, Wendy Carlos and Rachel Elkind, and then obviously uh, John Williams is a master. Um, and then with you, I think of you know like Peewee, the Peewee and even just Rugrats and some of these things you've done, they create this aesthetic and Human Highway to me has that that aesthetic, that cartoon aesthetic that Neil, I guess, was going for. So I was wondering if you could speak to the the aesthetic when you go about um, composing for film. Well, um, I don't Do you know that um, the score was a combination of music that I wrote and music that Neil wrote? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I had, I had read that, and I was yeah, wondering I, how I, that worked. That was, um, I, I had written music for, uh, Russ Camblin was doing a one-man off-Broadway play called Man with Bags by Ionesco, mm. and uh, Gene Stockwell was directing it, and so I wrote music for that. And then when they were editing, um, Dean gave them all the cues I'd done for, um, the man with bags. And so they mixed that in with uh, stuff that Neil was doing. There was, and he was kind of fooling around in a territory he wasn't familiar with. He was using synths. Right. And, uh, and it was, it came out pretty good. It came out, um, you know, um, my, my, uh, the composers I was, I was, um, attracted to were were not John Williams. To Mm -hmm. me, John Williams, uh, yeah, he, he does nice sounding. He, he comes up with a good theme. Yeah. Um, and you can laugh, but it's like, it's funny because um, people that come and work with me, I get a lot of guys that are just out of uh, Berkeley School of Music and mm-hmm. they're, they're, you know, John Williams is their god. And right. To me, it was never, I was never that impressed. To me, it's more like uh, uh, Nina Rota and uh, Morricone. Yeah. And yeah. The Italian uh, composers. Mm-hmm. I love that stuff so much more. Yeah. Um, uh, what was it, the film that um, that Neil scored, uh, where it was all almost just live guitar? Oh, that was. Uh, are you talking about Dead Man, the Jim Jarmusch film? Oh yeah, yeah, it's just see, like in his twangy is, guitar. Is much more interesting. That to me is more interesting than anything that John Williams has ever done. Just, I mean, you know, and I know I'm in a minority on that, but um, I think it's more artistic and mm. and. Um, yeah, so, so my my interest in score uh, comes from a totally different place than than a lot of composers. Even I mean that said, because I work so much in in animation, um, 
people will say, we want something we've never heard before. And then you play it for them and then they go, well, not that so much that we never heard before. <laughs> and so then you go, okay. And then, you know, you still, you, you fall back on the same, you know, on the same building material that, you know, that everybody uses and, you know, some, some things you get to be more creative than, than others. That's all. Mark, can, can I ask you about um, one of my favorite Neil songs that I don't think people know how heavily involved Devo was at the time was uh, My My Hey Hey. And specifically the cover that, well, the jam that you guys do, there's a, on YouTube, you can find it's like a, almost a 10 minute long version of it. I've probably watched it maybe a hundred times at this point. Um, can you talk about how that started and, uh, and, and, and just that song a little bit? Well, you know, he, <laughs> you know, it's like, um, my, my knowledge of it was that, you know, when Neil said he wanted us to be in his movie and everything was so very abstract, you know, we, we saw a script, but it was very loose. It, it was not anything like your typical films, film script. And, and he said he wanted us to play in a, we went to a place called different fur in um, San Francisco and set up and just recorded and filmed live. Uh, he, he showed us the song and, and we played it and um, I'd never heard it before. I, I don't know if he was performing it live at that time. He might've been performing it live simultaneous, you know, on other days than when we were filming, uh, you know, like as a solo song, but um, you know, it's, it's, um, I, I, I was, I was boogie boy at that recording session and I sat in a playpen <laughs> with a mini mug on my lap and, and uh, just a pair of underpants <laughs> and a t-shirt and, and um, boogie boy sang the song. And uh, I changed some of the lyrics cause they were about Johnny rotten. And I just had a weird experience with Johnny rotten where um, uh he wanted to join Devo and, mm, and I wow. didn't want him to be in our band. And uh, so I, I, I changed it to Johnny the Spud or something when I sang it. Yeah, we, we've had debates here a... on what, what you changed it to because we it sounds like you're saying Johnny Cuck or no, Johnny Fuck or Johnny Spud. Johnny Spud. Johnny Spud, yeah, okay. Boogie Boy never cursed. He never used foul language. Oh, sorry. That I can remember. <laughs> So did Neil, like when Neil, Neil asked you to work with him on the film, did he want to change yeah. anything about the band at all for the film? Or did he just want you no, guys? He was very, he, he was kind of like, go ahead and do what you do. And we needed to do some things that he specifically asked because he wanted us, because we were cast as, um, as nuclear waste disposers. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. were, we were filling up 50 gallon barrels of, uh, nuclear waste and taking them out to the desert to dump them off, dump them in the Creek. And, um, you know, he was, he was pretty good with, and we, we kind of wrote that piece of, of film for takes a worried man that we performed. We sang that song. Uh, we, we kind of designed it. Uh, and he was, he was kind of a guy who set things in motion and then kept an eye, you know, an eye out for the overview, but he let people, he let people work within their, their areas. And, um, 
you know, you didn't always know what was going to happen. And, and he was like really comfortable with that somehow. It seemed like. Yeah. So, we, we read that a lot of it was like improv. Yeah. So there was a lot of improv, uh, you know, with people in the show and they were, they built a stairway to heaven at the very, uh, <laughs> at the last minute. And, right. um, and, uh, things like that happened. And, um, I didn't know anything about how they made movies in Hollywood. So I just assumed this was it. Cause it seemed, seemed like it was on a pretty good scale. You know, it seemed big. We were in this great, um, we had this great set that they had built for the, uh, for the factory that we were working at. Uh, I mean, the, the loading dock outside the factory. And, um, I don't know. We, it was, it was, uh, it was, you know, one of our early introductions to, to California. <laughs> yeah. want to, want to ask you about the, um, the outfits you guys were wearing in the movie, which you, you would design yourselves. Right. And I read that you spent on all of your costumes in the movie, you spent a total of $136. Is that correct? Uh, we were frugal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think, um, $130 was spent to get, um, five matching shirts, uh, that were these black, uh, shirts that, uh, um, some guy we knew, I think his name was Randy Rose. I can't remember his name now cause it's, we're talking about the middle seventies, but, but he was, um, Chrissy Hines first manager. Huh. Uh, how we met him and, and he was making these shirts and selling them at a flea market in London. And he kind of made them slightly military looking, some weird, there were some odd kind of combination of elements. And so we got five of them from him. And then, uh, we told Neil we would, we would perform if he would, um, if he would buy us cowboy hats and five <laughs> pairs of, of cowboy boots. And, and he did. <laughs> and then the, uh, we also shot something that never, that the footage is lost on, as far as we know. Um, there was something that we shot at Mabuhe Garden, uh, where, you know, at, at one point in the movie, uh, Neil gets out of a, gets out of, uh, his car and he goes into what is a nightclub. It, it just looks like it's out mm. in the middle of the desert. And then when he opens the door, then it's this, it's actually Mabuhe Garden, which was the punk club in San Francisco at the time. And Devo's on stage. And, and he shoots a little footage there, but, but we shot two songs. We shot one, which was a, um, shrivel up that I've never seen the footage for, mm. but we wore, um, century. They were kind of like century 21, um, mustard yellow <laughs> jumpsuit. I mean, not jumpsuits. They were mustard yellow outfits and, and, uh, with, um, gambler vi- green gambling visors mm-hmm. and um I, i've never seen that footage it just disappeared that may be on youtube but, really i think i've made well, there were two songs oh okay. there were two songs and if you only find one then it's not the one i think yeah i don't know if it was comeback johnny or what was the song that that did get in the movie one of them got in the movie something got in the movie. and then something we changed outfits and it just never, it disappeared. So who knows? 
there's a, a trash heap somewhere in a, on the west coast that has a yeah I'm sure by now totally deteriorated um, acetate 35 millimeter film Adivo. So after you you work with Neil Young and you you make the movie, how did how did people react to you? Did they all of a sudden, did this obviously help you with, with getting noticed with people? And then what, I'm interested to know what maybe your peers said. And by peers, I mean people who were also trying to break ground musically at that time, other, other new music artists. Did they say, why are you working with Neil Young? You know, what's... Nobody I, I has anything bad to say about Neil. He's kind of one of those guys that, you know, even if your aesthetic is the same... He's, he, he really looks like an, an artist. He, he feels like an artist. He behaves like an artist. You know, he's, he's an artist. So it's like on some levels, even if you don't have a, a shared, you know, musical aesthetic, you know, or, or style, it's like there's something about him that, that um, transcends those kind of judgments, you know. Uh, he wasn't seen as another George Michael or something like that, you know, or, <laughs> You know, he was, you know, he, he, he's like the real deal. Uh, yeah. That's why we, we are choosing to do a podcast about Neil and not George. Michael. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or Stephen yeah. Stills for that matter. <laughs> so after, after you guys were done with the movie, it said you, you didn't actually see the movie until you said like what, 10 years later. Um, did, did, were there other opportunities to work with Neil Young or, or did he just kind of like move on and uh, like, have you, have you had any kind of encounters with him after that? Uh, shoot. I saw him at, at a memorial service for, um, for Elliot Roberts who oh, managed yep, both of us. Yeah. Right, uh, right. Elliot signed Devo because Neil told him to <laughs> yeah. He said, sign these guys. They're interesting. I, I don't know what I, I don't know what they are, but they're interesting. Something, you know, and uh, and um, so we shared a manager for quite a few years, but uh, we never really did another project that uh, I don't think. After after you did the movie, um, was it easier for you to do projects like make more videos? Were people more receptive uh, in far as far as investing in Devo and in your projects? Well, you know, you know, we signed with. Uh, Virgin Records for Europe and um, Warner Brothers for the rest of the world. Mm. And, and so, you know, it's like, I remember Warner Brothers, their response to, you know, when we showed them, when we got together for a marketing meeting and we showed them uh, films we'd made that, you know, they'd say, well, what are we supposed to do with those? You know, and, and <laughs> we're like, we don't know either, but that's what we do. We make films with our songs in them. You know, and they were like, wow. And this was pre-MTV, right? I mean, this was like way before. Oh, yeah. oh, this yeah. is We're still in the mid-70s at this point. You guys are making these short, like, 10-minute films to go along with your shows. <laughs> so, you know, there wasn't, you know, until like somewhere around 1980, 81, which then everything flops upside down once MTV comes along and it becomes a, uh, you know, a phenomena. And then didn't Neil... What el- I was listening to you on th- an episode of the world is it the world's greatest dad podcast, oh. uh, and yeah, world's best dad, world's best dad yeah. podcast. And you were telling a story about Neil giving you a hard time about one of your album covers. Oh yeah, 
Yeah. What? Well, well, no. Yeah, what, that's, that, that was something that was funny. Yeah, because it was. Um, uh, and the reason why I told the story is because these guys that do that podcast, they're, they're they come from a band called Aquabats, which is. Like, oh right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. They're, the they're totally kind of like obsessed with merch and you know, uh, and all that kind of stuff. That, that they love that part of of being in a band more than more than playing. I think. Uh, they love the merch end of it. But so I was telling this that Neil kind of said, you know, it's not cool selling stuff, you know, uh, selling merchandise. This was back in 78. So he can be forgiven 79. So he can be forgiven for that. <laughs> but he was like, he was like, he was against the idea of merch being connected to. And I was, and I was trying to say, no, I, I wanted it to be like out of a, you know, in the back of a comic book when, it, when right. they show like, you know, if you sell so many grit newspapers, which I don't know anybody who's ever seen a grit newspaper, but there was this company called Grit, and they, and then they, you'd look at all these little images of things like tricycles, bicycles, uh, baseball mitts, baseball, glove, you know, baseballs, um, bats, basketballs, all these different thing, toys of all kinds, you know, and you'd go, if you, they'd say, if you sell a hundred and a hundred subscriptions to a uh, grit. You can get a, a Daisy BB gun. And I was like, Oh my God, I, <laughs> ah, I love that. I, so, but I, I just read them. I never, I never, you know, sold grit newspaper in Akron, Ohio. It, didn't you, I, didn't you get I, a, a live monkey that yeah. way too though? Yeah. Wasn't that? <laughs> yeah. You yeah. could buy, buy a, a monkey, monkey fit in a cup. That's yeah. And then so when I, I looked at the ads recently and I saw that <laughs> it said, if your monkey dies on delivery, we'll give you another. We'll send you another. Oh my god! Oh my lord! So you, so you got one of these monkeys. Did it arrive in a box, or did it was it delivered by a yeah. living person? Yeah, it was delivered by a mailman. Wait, oh. in a box? Yeah. Oh my god! And so this is the inspiration for the Boogie Boy speech <laughs> at the end right. of Human Highway. <laughs> That poor monkey. Yeah, so, and then they all, they used to sell chihuahuas in a cup. What? Oh, goodness. You could buy a chihuahua for, it was like a couple bucks. So, and then, uh, was this the 60s the same, then? That was like, that was probably like late 50s. Oh, wow. Early 60s. Oh, my yeah, goodness. It, it, we weren't, we're not talking about the 80s, that's for sure. Yeah, because yeah. I just remember the x-ray glasses and the sea monkeys. Yeah. I don't remember actual monkeys oh, yeah. or dogs or any live animals, yeah. you know. Yeah, the, the the sea monkeys were, yeah, the sea monkeys and the X-ray specs were kind of disappointment. Yeah, yeah, the <laughs> X-ray specs you did you you could definitely not see through anybody's clothing. I was really disappointed in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. It's like they showed that guy, and he was like, he always had a, a greased back hairdo. Mm -hmm. The same yep. image of this guy with a big, toothy grin and a greased back hairdo. I, actually, yeah. I've 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 redrawn him he's been a model for characters in my artwork hmm. no it's I... it's kind of like the guy on the are we not men album except he's wearing a hat you can't really see the grease back well hair. that was chichi rodriguez that's chichi rodriguez oh that was chichi rodriguez oh, wow <laughs> wow yeah. Yeah. yeah and you um, you started as like a, a an artist and i i know you've told this story many times but the i, I was really intrigued by the story that you were legally blind and yeah. didn't even know it and then 
you were really inspired by actually being able to see trees for the first time. And the nun who was spanking you all the time because you were blind then was complimenting your tree pictures. And I just love that that transformed into this, uh, you know, in the way a lot of our childhood sort yeah. traumas how, become art. How, that's curious to yeah. me too. So you, you knew the world as what you were seeing as someone who was legally blind and you had no idea that that was not normal. And how much no, of that I, do you I think influenced? Yeah, how much? You, how much of that do you think influenced your art? Oh, quite a bit because I I remember the exact moment that I put on a pair of glasses and I went from total fog to everything was mm. was um, in total focus and you know and and that was that was a big deal and you know I was yeah. it was second grade was almost over and I'd spent the first two years going to school I'd somehow I was able to to like use sidewalks and, and the woods that I had to walk through, I, I, I could figure out how to get to school and, you know, everybody else did. So I just did too. And, um, I remember, uh, uh, my, I had a teacher in second grade who would, who like was exasperated with me, you know, cause she'd say, all right, uh, Mr. Mother's ball, what are the numbers on the boards, you know, on the, on the, blackboard and i'd go what's a blackboard and everybody would start laughing and then she'd put me in the corner you know and uh, or send me to the office or give me a swat because you know it, that was encouraged back in the yeah in the, right because you didn't you days. literally didn't know you couldn't see the fucking thing so of course yeah, you don't know what like, it is people, i'm like how do people know the right answer for that right. question i was like really baffled by it and then uh yeah and then i got I saw trees for the first time, you know, and I remember drawing trees the next day with my glasses. I was so, I became really obsessed with drawing trees and, and this woman who had, you know, like uh, been trying to discipline me for a year said, you draw trees better than me. And it, <laughs> it, that just that one comment changed, changed uh, the way I thought about the world and the way I thought about what myself. And I thought, I'm going to be an artist. Wow. That's what I want to do. I want to be an artist. That's that's wild. So, that, yeah. So it started early with me. It was like second grade. So you, you went to Kent State, and then you actually knew one of the people that were were killed at the Kent State shootings, right? Um, I don't think any of us knew the people that were shot, but we, um, but we, you know, we all hung hung out in the same places, and you know they. Uh, you know, the people that were, and we had joined SDS. Jerry and I were both in SDS because um, we didn't think, at the time, I thought, I can't think of a single Vietnamese person I would want to kill. Mm. I have no interest in going to Vietnam and killing anybody, and I don't think we should be over there killing people. And so we, we, we both were kind of like demonstrating to get out of Vietnam and get out of Cambodia and, and uh, it got out of hand uh, as far as, you know, the government was concerned and they decided, well, here's what you do when those smart ass kids that, that are like trying to tell us what we're supposed to be doing. And, uh, so, so we were around, we were in school during the time of the shooting and Devo, we were already thinking of, of like, we wanted to do some, some sort of an, an art movement. We were thinking of it because we were impressed by uh, 
the art movements in Europe between World War One and World War Two. I think we talked a little bit about this, but like Bauhaus and Dada, especially. I love Dada and surrealism and and uh, futurist, uh, Italian futurists that were musically inclinated and and didn't want to be limited to using the orchestra for their for their instruments. Um, and uh, we we wanted to make our own. We wanted to be like a uh, a '70s version of of uh, a '30s art movement. And um, you know, after the shooting, we were kind of like, well, we're not watching things get better. We're watching things get worse. And, and we found some different things. I had I had found a, a book in '68 called The Population Bomb, and it kind of basically said, you know, humans are out of control and we're going to destroy the whole planet because we don't know how to control ourselves uh, as procreationists. And, and um, then we found this other book called The Beginning Was the End, How Man Came Into Being Through Cannibalism. Okay. And we loved it. It was outrageous, but um, it, it was to us, it was like, yeah, humans is the unnatural species on the planet. That's how we feel. You know, we feel humans are the ones that are, are endangering the whole planet. And, so that gave us yeah. something to talk about as artists. And then when our school got closed down, we had been using the facilities at the school to do visual art together. Jerry and I had done a number of, we'd collaborated on a number of visual art projects. And then we both were in bands to help pay our way through school. So we started jamming together. And um, I had a synth and I was interested in like, um, you know, like abstract uh Music. I was interested in in um, John Cage and and, and in uh, things like uh, things like Captain Beefheart. I was artists like Captain Beefheart, and I wanted. I thought, you know what? How do we bring technology into that world? It's not, you know, it's not through Keith Emerson or or those guys. They're they're like <laughs> making synthesizers sound like like uh, fancy glorified calliopes or something. They don't. They're not really adding anything. And so I, I was using my synth with the early Devo stuff to, to make like, um, uh, you know, mortar blasts and V2 rocket sounds and mm. X and ray gun machine sounds and, and things like that. I was looking for those kind of sounds. And, mm. um, you know, it just kind of took a musical turn that, you know, in, in the summer of 70. And we started kind of writing things more, more, uh, that were more sonic art than, than visual art, but, but we were still making our films. You know, we were still interested in films and visual art, and we were both making visual art. I was at the time, uh, I'd become obsessed with uh, printmaking. It, it, to me, you know, there weren't computers yet, but, but you could, I could wait for everybody to leave school at like four or five o'clock, school would be out, and then I'd have the art department all to myself. And so I didn't have to queue up in line with other kids to, to print multiple screens. And I could, I could, between five at night and three in the morning, uh, I could do a whole piece of art. And yeah. I was doing art on a smaller size because of my vision, even then. Hmm. And so I made this artwork that was like the size of like um, the early... Uh, Shepherd Ferry Obey stickers right. that came out, you know, and I was sticking them up on canvas, 
I mean, on campus, I was sticking, um, you know, post-it art on campus, you know, kind of like a pre-graffiti. Right. And uh, I, I was, I was obsessed with outer space and spacemen and astronauts and potatoes. Yeah, potatoes. Yeah. What's what's what's, yeah. With, what's the fascination with potatoes? Because you carried that on to Devo. Are also. you Irish? <laughs> yeah. No. Um, we thought of potatoes as like, you know, we were saying, well, like in the in the vegetable kingdom, it's like asparagus are are like the are like the um, Brook Shields and the and uh, <laughs> the beautiful people of the world are, are like the asparagus people, and uh, the potato is you know like the much maligned, you know, humble vegetable that grows underground and and it's dirty and it's asymmetric. It's not symmetric like the most beautiful people are. It's asymmetric and but it's on. It's on the dinner table every day. People eat, right. eat potatoes in this country every single yeah, day, whether it's, it's a, a French fry or, or something for breakfast or something for mashed potatoes or something. And mm-hmm. but you know nobody ever, <laughs> ever thinks about it. They're like the lowly, the lowly potato that, but it has eyes all around, so it sees everything. <laughs> That's how we thought of thought of potatoes. When we thought of ourselves as like <laughs> smart proletariat. So it's like a kind of a, a veg a vegetable caste system. Almost. Yeah, yeah. We, you know. <laughs> yeah, we were trying to we were trying to figure out where where children of blue collar parents where they fit in in the world in, a, mm-hmm. in, in where they fit in in the U.S. <laughs> it's, that, so I, that was that's where the potato came from, that's, and that's actually how we ended up meeting uh, Jerry and I because he had seen these things I was posting around campus from '68 '69, and uh, he. He sought me out and he said, Mark, what's your interest in potatoes? And then we, we struck up a conversation. <laughs> oh, my God. And he was like, really? This I got to start a band with this guy. I, I had a question, but then I got lost in the potato monologue. Oh. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. No, I love it. It's, no, that's it's fantastic. It was ba- I was basically just going to say uh, how it's it struck me as such a strange uh, synchronicity that you ended up, you know, doing all this art and being, I guess, I don't know, inspired or sort of tortured by the the craziness of war at that time, especially with you guys being at the site of one of these sort of, you know, generation-breaking uh, historical moments. And then synchronistically, you end up working with the guy who writes the song you know, in a day that ends up becoming sort of a, the voice of that generation with, you know, Neil Young yeah. with Ohio. And then you end up making this film with him that's about war and the end of the world. It's just all these weird synchronicities, you know? Yeah. It just, you know, it's, um, there was something, there was some energy there that was like-minded. Mm. For sure. Yeah. What did you make of that song at that time? How, how did that, um, or Ohio, yeah, yeah, Ohio. Like, what, when, I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah. It just must have been uh, so strange you know, being there and then and then hearing that and mm. then you know working with him. I think we did. I think Devo did a cover of it. We I can't remember why, mm. but <laughs> we did a cover for some for something. I would love to hear that. Yeah, it's somewhere out there. Mm. Well, um. I want to talk a little bit about 
your your scoring career. I mean, you you've done the yeah. scores for a, a lot of really great movies and television shows, and everybody knows, you know, Rugrats, you know, and and the Lego Movie and stuff. But and then you also have a relationship with with Wes Anderson mm. and mm-hmm. and his work. And what what uh, like what draws you to him, or how how did you guys end up working so much together? Uh, I got a call from. Uh, Sony and they said well we have this guy who just is making a new film and we asked him who he wanted for a composer and he only had one name on the list so will you come <laughs> meet him it's awesome and wow. that's how I met Wes and, and, but, um, but for me it's like uh, I think what got me into scoring well, you know the first thing I ever that could be considered score uh, for a feature was on Human Highway which is kind of but you know we were um, we were doing you know, you'd write 12 songs, you'd rehearse them, you'd go record them. We'd then do some videos and we'd do, put together a live stage show. Then we'd go on tour. And then a year later, we'd get to write 12 more songs. And then we had to go do all that other stuff. And we did that for six albums before we left Warner Brothers and had like a little, you know, hiatus. And during that time, I got a call from Paul Rubin, he says, I know you turned me down when I offered you to score my feature, but would you score my TV show? Yeah. And I said, yeah, I'll try it out. And so he sent me a tape on Monday. He was in New York working at Broadway Arts, and uh, is where they shot it in New York. And so he'd send me a tape on a Monday. I'd write an album's worth of music on Tuesday. I'd record it on Wednesday. I'd put it in the mail on Thursday so that, it, so that on Friday – they could mix it to the picture. And then on Saturday, we'd all watch it on TV. And then on Monday, he'd send me another tape. And, I, and so to me, the idea of getting to write an album's worth of music every week. Yeah. Jeez. And this wow. really incredible, you know, uh, time schedule like that. I went, sign me up for that. Wow. That's so awesome. I love that job. I was so excited about it. And so it just, it was Pee Wee's Playhouse that, that kind of, got me interested in, in film scoring and then in TV and film and then doing it, you meet all these people and some of them, you know, there's a lot of hacks and there's a lot of, you know, crappy movies made, but there's also a lot of good stuff. And, um, you know, it's kind of the luck of the, you know, you get a script and you read it and you go, Oh, this is a great, this is going to be a great film. I wonder how they're going to screw it up. And then you (laughs) sign on and then they, they give you a cop, you know, the first rough edit of the film, and you go, "Oh, that's how they're going to do it." It's really tough, you know, to to make a great film. It's just so yeah. hard because there's so many moving pieces and so mm. many people involved. Yeah. That um, you know, it's people like Wes Anderson who who are obsessed with with keeping control of it, to mm. where he trades off his um he trades off his royalties for for control. And, oh, wow. and he's the guy that shows up when they're doing the costumes, then he redraws things and he says, no, make it more like this. Or he, he w- he'll sit in my studio and he'll be there while I'm writing the music. And even to the point where I started writing by the third film I did with him, I started writing music ahead of time that he could listen to in his headphones while he was shooting. And then by the time we got to the fourth or fifth film, he was like, um, he was sitting there writing on the script for um, uh, Life Aquatic, and he was going, 
you know, Mark, I'm thinking there's going to be, I think, I think there's going to be, um, uh, an, a composer that's on the ship with the, with everybody else, but his equipment, I mean, they have a modern kitchen. They have a very modern kitchen, but they haven't bought him any new equipment. So his equipment's kind of 70s synthesizers and recording equipment. What would that be like? I go, well, that'd be just like what Devo was using in the 70s. And so <laughs> we went down to the basement at my studio and we pulled out like an old Oberheim TVS-1, which is, uh, you know, an old 70s, early 70s synthesizer. And, and that's what I ended up writing the main theme for Attack on Ping Island on. Oh, wow. Wow. And, uh, cool. You know, he's, you know you, so you meet people like that and, and you get to work with them. And, you know, I just, I just did... Two of the movies I did this year are with um, first-time directors, and um, I like these guys. And they're both, you know, I I think they'll be doing more films too. So we'll see. So you also did um, commercial work too. You you did music for commercials. And is it true that you used to put subliminal messages into the music for the commercials that you would do? Yeah, because I was kind of conflicted about the idea of doing mu music for commercials anyhow. <laughs> I kind of had mixed feelings, although commercials, music, made me want to, um, it made me think about the whole strategy of Devo. Mm. Uh, I remember in in uh, the 70s, there was, um, you know, we decided that, that, you know, that after the shootings at Kent State and all over, the whole country, we saw, we saw it go quiet. We saw everybody stop being political, stop, you know, everything went quiet after they got shot at. And we thought, well, that proves that rebellion is obsolete and doesn't really succeed in this country. And we were thinking, like, how do you change things in, in America or the world? And I remember there, at the time, there was this ad for, Burger King and uh, you know uh, to add they had taken one of the most beautiful pieces of music in the world Pachabell's canon you know la 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 oh my god that's right yeah special orders don't upset us yes yeah so they changed it that's what they changed it into yeah and you know Burger King you know just shot through the roof and and came in a really close second place to McDonald's in those days, was, uh, came and we thought that's how you do it, you subversion. Yeah. And so the commercials interested us. And then when I first got commercials, they were like Hawaiian Punch, uh, Mercedes, uh, some tennis shoe. I can't even remember which one it was, Converse or something. Uh, and and I remember thinking, well. There's got to be more than just putting some catchy music on it. And so uh, uh, in Hawaiian Punch, near the end, there's like it has a big buildup in the commercial. And then there's a there's a drum fill. And in it, I put sugar is bad for you underneath the, you know, it, I, I just said that underneath the uh, Tom Toms. In the, <laughs> oh, my in the God. For Hawaiian Punch, and, which is uh, all sugar. Bob Casale, who was my en <laughs> Bob Casale was my engineer at the time. And he says, you're you're going to get in trouble for that. They're, they're going to like fire you. And so we went to, uh, God, what was the name of that? Daily and Associates, I think was the company. And we went there and we're sitting there with a bunch of 
uh, ad executives and we brought the music in and we're playing it for them. And they're, this guy's sitting there tapping his pen on, on the table. And in a robot voice, I go, I did the line they wanted me to do. Hawaiian punch hits you in all the right places. And then the drum fill comes in and sugar is bad for you. And they just kept <laughs> tapping their pen and like wagging their heads to the music. And they were so happy. Oh my and God. Sally just looked over at me like, you lucky. You lucky. And did that, and they went with that? Like, did that make it on and television? They went with it. And oh my God. So awesome. I probably saw that. Yeah. And it won awards. So, um, <laughs> That's awesome. So we did um so we did um somewhere at this in the building I'm in right now, I'm at Mutato at the moment. It's uh, my my office on sunset. And somewhere in here is a three quarters inch tape with like about thirty commercials that all have subliminal messages in them. Oh wow. <laughs> oh that's amazing. I wish and, you could put that out. And I took it I took it to a I was doing a visual art show and I put it on, you know, in the room and, and, um, you know, people just said, why did you put your commercials on <laughs> your art show? It's kind of funny. That's but, amazing that there's commercials that were running out there and people were just totally consuming them and they had some, Mark Mothersbaugh had subliminal messages in them <laughs> telling so sugar great. is bad. Oh, and, I love it. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, question authority. Awesome. Um, See, that's some that's some know. fucking Neil Man shit right <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, that's like Neil a Neil Young. Young. That's really that's a Neil Young yeah. moment. You guys don't know this, but actually, in the Thor soundtrack, if you turn it up all the way, you can hear him say, "DC is better." Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, Mark, I wanted to ask you just real quick as we're winding down here. Um, are you? What are you listening to today? I know we're all in isolation. We're all quarantining. Are there any artists that you're uh, that you're listening to right now? Um, um, well, I'll tell you what what I'm doing today. I'll just be honest. I, I just finished scoring a movie called Crude Two. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's going to be a Crude Two, a new age, and it's it's. I I think they did the the first one like eight years ago, and then yeah. DreamWorks they're doing they did the new one, and um, I just finished scoring that and. You know, now that we have the long distance, um, you, know, uh, you know, kind of sophisticated versions of Zoom out there, uh, uh, I was able to record in at Abbey Road, which is oh, like, wow. my favorite studio to work out. In. Incredible. And, you know, there's a there's a orchestra over there that I use a couple times a year to for my films, and and so I stayed here for that. But that's done. But I wrote a song that um. I got Jack Black and then uh, some ladies, the Hyam sisters. I don't know if you know who they are. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Hyam. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's somebody that's out there now. And, and they sang and they recorded uh, remotely. So, oh, wow. Uh, I, didn't awesome. even, I didn't even go to their studios. They, they, I just sent them tapes and they all sang. And so I'm sorting through tracks now because everybody over-recorded. And like a guitar friend of mine, I asked him to put a guitar part on, on the song, and he sent me seventeen tracks. You know that's the danger oh, of a, of digital. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. So what like, is he in Steely Dan? Jeez. I'm trying to like work my way through that. Yeah. Stuff. Speaking of Jack I told Black, him I'm I... using the boobams. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I'm not going to lose one of my solos, am I? I go, <laughs> I, go I hope. <laughs> Speaking of Jack Black, you did that movie Envy, which no one ever like has heard of or talks about, but I think that movie's awesome. And, I, and I know you did the film score for that, and I, I just wanted to say that because you said Jack Black. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That was um, yeah, that was a odd experience. Really. Um. But I did have fun writing music for uh, God, who's who's the guy that sang on it for me? Now I, I'm in. Oh yeah, the, yeah, the one who was he was always like envy. Music kept doing like yeah. the deep. <laughs> got, yeah, yeah. He did a he did a great job of singing for me. I I got to put like a he was kind of like the the Greek chorus narrator or something. Yeah, that was my favorite part of that movie. Yeah, that's great. Of working on it anyhow. Well, Mark, we really appreciate your time because we know you're you obviously you're telling us all this stuff you're doing. You're very busy. Uh, I also want to mention, Mark, is is uh, are you still doing this thing for the U.S. Postal Service? The the postcard Absolutely. art thing? Yeah, that, right on. yeah, you know, um, I draw, you know, and it started out because of my eyesight and then also traveling with Devo. Uh, I, I've drawn on and, and uh, written on cards since uh, the, the early 70s. Mm. Uh, back when I was still at Kent, I got involved in something called mail art, and I found out if you get a piece of art on a postcard and send it to Jasper John, Johns or, or Rauschenberg or you know a lot of different p- people out there, uh, Andy Warhol didn't respond, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but, but other people did, and they would send, you could get people to send things, do artwork on, on cards for you, and I don't know to an, an unknown nobody blue collar twerp from Akron, Ohio. That was like really an amazing thing. Yeah. And so I, I've been doing artwork on cards that size uh, ever since. And um, this woman, B.D. Wolf, interesting artist, uh, she said, "Hey, let's do uh, let's do post art. Let's save the post office." Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so. It's it's really nonpartisan what we're doing. We're encouraging people, you know, whatever their political, you know, uh, choices are, to to like help support the post office. And the and people have been we 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 kind of I feel like we're at Santa's workshop <laughs> this week because all this post mail is coming into my studio every day. So how do people find out about that? What what uh, resources can we tell our listeners to go to for that? Ah, well, you know, we we started it off on, on BD and my website, but okay. but it's out there. If you look up Post Art for Democracy, okay. uh, you'll find us. Okay, and, sweet. And, and you guys don't mail live monkeys, do you? Yeah, do you, you don't? Uh, we, we, I would not encourage. <laughs> okay, all right. I, I, oh, damn it. I'm, I, I'm embarrassed that, that I was... Uh, we were part of that. You know? I, I just but think it's like amazing. Was, it was the fifties, eight or nine. I didn't know better. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Mark, thank you so much for, uh, for taking this time with us. We really appreciate it. And, uh, thanks for, you know, what you do and, and sharing your stories, uh, working with Neil Young. And, uh, I am glad that you've have re- Mark had COVID-19 and yeah, I'm glad right. that you're, yeah. glad you're you, doing okay. You recovered from that and you're, yeah. you're back to work. Yeah. 
And I'm one of those got to try everything once kind of people. Oh, well, no, was, that, was that an really, art project? Really careful. <laughs> it's an art project. Was that an art project? <laughs> Jeez. I, you know, I, I, I even made up Mutato masks and I was wearing them every day. And then I, 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 had, I was moving some stuff. I was moving stuff. That's all it was, moving stuff. Wow. And there were some people that were helping me move it. And one of them was sick. And I didn't know it. Oh shit! So, wow. Yikes! So, yeah, I don't think I've I've talked. Real. I don't think I've ever talked to anyone while this whole thing was going on who who actually had the virus. Really? I've known people who Ugh. who are related to people. Like I have a good yeah. friend whose father passed away from it. I've known people who yeah. knew people, but I've never talked to anyone directly. And I'm yeah. Um, oh, I'm well, glad that you're you're well, recovered. I can, I can confirm with you that it's real. I I was on a ventilator for ten days. Oh, oh shit! And uh, yeah, it was. I was delusional. I have these amazing, some of them creepy, some of them really great uh, dreams that I attribute to. Wow. I don't know if it's ventilator or COVID nineteen, but I definitely had them. Wow. The time period. Oh shit. Well, maybe that's where the next film's coming from. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Hey, I, I there was a whole Devo album that I pretty much remember that we performed uh, in outdoors and in, in downtown Hollywood, and we pretty much took over the whole city and built these like a 60 to 100 feet tall um, uh, three-dimensional uh, AR uh, characters that somehow we were we were able to stand on them and, and play. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> so who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah that could happen. Changes. Here's open. You're the yeah. man that can make that happen for sure. You've done that. I have to talk to Neil about that. Oh, uh, yeah. That's yeah. A... <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's I know a... what he knows. Yes. We'd love to see another collaboration. Oh hell yeah! Yeah. Well, Neil wrote some of his best songs when he was sick too. So that's true. When yeah. he had a fever, yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate it, and uh, and good luck with uh, your your future endeavors there, and and the your efforts in helping to save the uh, United States Postal Service. We're hell definitely yeah. gonna get our postcards over to you. Yeah, 100%. that's an honor. And- uh, I don't know. I I love the post office. I love post 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 people. Oh yeah, same. So, we do what too. The heck? Yeah, I don't want to lose that. No. All right. Yeah, right for on. Sure. We're with you there, man. Yeah, the freedom to uh, exchange information. Yeah, it's yeah. got to be there. Yeah, and send cool drawings. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, Mark. Well, we really appreciate it, man. All right, you guys. Thanks for uh, letting me be a part of your. Uh, whatever this is, this, this <laughs> Neil Young that's ex- podcast. No, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah we you got it. You got it perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if uh, I wonder if Boogie Boy would uh, give us a long "May You Young" outro. <laughs> people, people, this is Boogie Boy reminding you to choose your mutations carefully. Oh yes, hell yeah! Yes. Thank you so much, <laughs> Mark. Okay, feel free to edit away to make me sound more. Uh, articulate than I really am. And, uh, other than that, I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll send along the link when it's done. Awesome. Thanks, yeah, Mark. Okay, thank you. Yeah, we're we're super grateful and honored to talk to you today, man. Well, stay healthy. Wait till the vaccine shows up before you get it. Absolutely. Wait All right. Next summer. I think it's next summer. They think it'll, mm. it'll be a vaccine. So, wait till then. Fingers yeah. crossed. All right, Mark. All right, signing off. All, All right. right, much love. Thanks, Thank Mark. you.
Hey. Nails Lockett, Nails Emporium, how can I help you? Hey, poop. <laughs> yeah, we're looking for poop nails. Do you have nails? All yeah. right, listen, I'm not going to take any more of these prank calls, guys. I'm no. running a business, and I don't have time for this. No, we're, we're building an all-organic banana stand, because there's tons of money in the banana stand. Um, can, can you, you hear all of us? Nails, can you hear all of us? We have a serious complaint to file, but I want to make sure you can hear each one of us clearly. Can you hear us? Yeah. Okay. Can, can you hear yeah, everybody? I hear, I, I hear three really like inexperienced clowns that have no idea how to build anything. Yeah, because we just got fired from the carna nail and we didn't get paid. Yeah, I have, a, I have a complaint about that. My funnel cake was filled with nails and not the yeah, good listen, kind. I made that pretty clear in the uh, advertisement I sent you guys. That That's there got a good point. Be you did yeah, make it very clear that it was all nails. Yeah, see, I have no problem with the nails in my funnel cake. I just want my paycheck. I juggled and nails. Listen, don't bring I up threw... a sour point for me, okay? I was shut down by the board of health because of what I was doing there. Apparently, people weren't ready for the carna nail. So, listen, you're not the only one that's not getting paid there, buddy. I'm not getting paid either. And, this and, is supposed I'm, to go all yes, the way to but, Christmas uh, we weekend, signed, and We signed a contract. Down. We signed a contract. I'm sorry that you didn't get paid, but you still have a business. You need to pay us. Yeah, do that. It was yeah. better. Take a look at that contract, buddy, and make sure you read through every bit ha, of it, okay? Check, you check, read the check. Fine print, can, can you give me a little more? I have no yeah, yeah, that's good. No, yeah. keep talking, Nails. We're, the feedback in we're, my, right. It's not like we're just using you to test our microphones for a, a bigger interview. Though. Oh, it's not? Oh, yeah, oh, it's wait. not. It's poop. not. Yeah, poop. Why so did you this s- is the interview. You guys realize that this is the one that matters. No one cares about whoever else you're going to... No one listens to your podcast. We know that. For anything we, other than Nails. I'm we, we, sorry we, to tell you that. We, because yes. ever since I've been on your podcast, my nail sales have gone through the roof. Your nail sales, My nail sales for this have sailed. <laughs> so they I haven't failed. As long as nails can sail away. <laughs> I'm glad that you didn't bail on the Come nails. Come nail away. Come <laughs> nail, nail away. <laughs> Come nail away with nails. Right, so if you're going to sing anything, can you just sing? N A I L nailing away. Give me some ten pennies. I like the lyric. Improvement. Are you get? Is this everything looking good on the computer? Everything looks good. Okay. Everything sounds. Nails. Do do we sound clear? Is there's any feedback, delay, anything like that? Anything? I'm not really hearing anything. Uh, I will be honest with you. I don't know if I can hear Russ though. Really? What about this? Who's Russ? Russ, is that you? Yeah, that's me, Bub. Yep. Yep. All right. Yeah, you're. Yeah, you're good. It's just don't talk over each other because if you talk over each other, you know, take a little constructive criticism here. Don't talk all over. All right, thanks. Did you hang up on him? Yeah, because we get a call mark, Mother's Smile. N-A-I-L-S, Nails. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.